Welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast about NBC's The Good Place. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, it's my boot brother, Marissa. G'day, mate. <laughs> He's so earnest. I really like him a lot. Me too. Henry? That's his name, right? Henry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who we see later on in the trolley problem. Yes, poor Henry. <laughs> <laughs> um. So this week, last week we did an episode about... Marvel's The Black Panther. Uh, I think it's our longest episode to date, even though we are a Good Place podcast. We spent probably twice the amount of time talking about Black Panther. Really gave my uh, editing finger a workout. Yes. And yeah, the conversation was even longer. Poor Marissa had to edit the whole thing. But this week we are back. We are talking about uh, season one, episode seven, we're back with our Guilty Knowledge rewatch. So this week we watched The Eternal Shriek. And before we dive in to this week's episode recap, uh, let's do a little bit of housekeeping at the top. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Google Play. Uh, you can find us at goodplay.cast.rocks. Uh, if you're on iTunes and you want to leave us a little uh, a review and, and a rating, that would be lovely. You can also follow and like us on Facebook at The Good Play. We have a group there, Twitter at The Good Play Pod, and Gmail at The Good Play Pod at gmail.com. Did I miss anything? And we have a few emails to get to. <laughs> Ooh. ha ha. Okay, I forgot you don't check the email. <laughs> I don't, well, I just got into the habit of not checking it as often because people weren't using it. But now that people are using it, I got to get back on it. Yeah, you do. Ramping up. So shall we jump into the recap? So the episode opens right where the last one left off, where Michael is telling the town that he is the real problem and he needs to be retired. He reflects back on the incidents that have happened and somehow gives them all a cast that makes it look as though he was the one who caused it such as you know i didn't order enough shrimp for the opening night party and then i was mocked by giant shrimp flying through the sky tahani actually agrees with him tacitly that he didn't order enough shrimp yes. for the opening party which is hilarious that's a great yes a lot of good tahani moments in this episode hashtag tahani time yes <laughs> he reveals the only way in and out of the neighborhood is by train, and Janet is the only one who can operate the train, so he asks Janet to call him a train into retirement. Eleanor and Chidi are discussing afterwards what has happened, and she's kind of psyched because she says, Michael gets a chill retirement, and I get to go undetected, and this is sort of the best of both worlds. Chidi is just ethically not having this. He quotes an alleged mandarin saying which is lies are like tigers they are bad uh but (laughs) eleanor is not convinced by his uh ethical hesitation so we get a flashback of chidi at the university in sydney where he was teaching which we actually see um at the end of the season two finale episode his philosopher friend henry shows up wearing these like vajazzled red cowboy <laughs> boots <laughs> and Henry asks 
<laughs> Henry asks Chidi how he likes them and tells him to be honest. And Chidi's like, yeah, I love them. And he obviously hates them. And then you can see that Chidi is like torn up by this completely harmless white lie. At Tahani's mansion, Tahani is setting up like a nice, cheerful goodbye party for uh, for Michael. She obviously has the notion that Eleanor does that this is a the t- sort of retirement that humans understand as retirement. But Michael comes in and explains to her that retirement for being such as himself involves his soul being scooped out with a hot ladle and his body being distributed like one molecule per burning sun and his essence is i don't know why his essence is different than his soul but his essence is is ladled over hot diamonds and then they take whatever's left and they put a string around his genitals and they use him like a pinata i mean it's just like a completely insanely exaggerated thing but it seems to be real you know we we find out later in the in okay, the show i, I so. do have a i do have a question about that in the discussion section so well i i think i i think i can short circuit that just by saying that when when sean puts michael in the new yorker's room he he's expecting retirement and sean's like no, no no retirement is like too public and too much of a spectacle and i'm just gonna put you in this new new yorker's room so that's true whatever retirement is it is something along these lines it's a horrible public display of humiliation right yeah i was just wondering if he was like exaggerating it in some way in order to kind of mentally torture the humans. it's possible now that but, we know but yeah at the at the beginning of season two when chidi asks michael why he told so many truths Michael says that the lie is always easiest when it's closest to the truth. So I, I'm, I tend to believe that this is actually what retirement is for him. So Oof. everybody there, Chidi, Eleanor, Tahani, Jason. Well, I guess not Jason. Jason's not paying attention. But Tahani, Jason Eleanor, really... and Chidi are all, yeah, all horrified by this. And Tahani's like, okay, I'm going to reconceive this event and we're just going to do somber, somber, somber. And now Eleanor, you know, back at home, Eleanor and Sheedy are talking again. And Eleanor is like so frustrated because this was supposed to be her big out. And now she doesn't feel like she can use it. Sheedy says either confess and save Michael or keep lying and condemn Michael to this retirement torture. But Eleanor says she can always find a third way. She calls Janet and asks if Janet can be shut down. And Janet is very cheerful and says, great question. There is a kill switch in a remote part of the neighborhood that will uh, destroy me if you press it. And Eleanor says to Chidi, Great Janet in this episode. Yeah, there is. It's a great Janet and great to honey. So Eleanor tells Chidi, look, Michael can't get on a train to be retired if Janet is not there to run the train. And Chidi, of course, says, quote, killing is one of the most famous moral (laughs) no-nos. He's really not into (laughs) this idea. But Eleanor says the ends justify the means, and Chidi points out that that was Machiavelli who said that. We see another Chidi flashback where he's in bed with his girlfriend and really upset about the fact that he lied about the boots. He's very into Kant. We see this later in the show as well. You know, Kant, who apparently said lying is always, always, always wrong. And uh, the girlfriend basically says this is why everybody hates moral philosophy professors. And the next day, Henry gives Chidi a matching pair of cowboy boots, and Chidi can't bring himself to turn them down, so he gets to clomp around in this flashy footwear. (laughs) 
At Michael's somber going away party, Tahani tries to give a speech and Michael just keeps interrupting with like these depressed interjections and Tani gives up and lets Michael have the floor and Michael gives an amazing speech about all the things he wanted to do as a human such as eat a saltine and have a rewards club card and that's right you have a note in the in the show notes that he gets a rewards card with his honorary human prices I think that's right <laughs> that they but they, they of course they can't right. rem- they can't remember this moment so it's just like they just intuited that that was one of the <laughs> things yeah. that a human being <laughs> right should have <laughs> i mean the writers remember that so it's like a nice little not easter egg but a nice little nod to people who've been sort of following along this whole time which i thought was very sweet right and the whole thing ends on a really sour note because he eats a saltine and he finds it disappointing and tahani tells him to take it sleazy and he says <laughs> you get to say it Ugh, you know and he kind of leaves in a huff Meanwhile, Eleanor and Chidi go to the remote sector of the neighborhood where the Janet kill switch is. And Eleanor and Chidi both try to kill Janet, but Janet's pleading for her life is so realistic that they both get cold feet. Then Jason wanders over and is like, oh, I want to push the button. And Chidi shoves him out of the way and in doing so accidentally pushes the button. Janet falls down on her face, as we've seen so many times now in the show. And there's a big Janet alarm in the sky that says, attention, I have been murdered like 700 times. Uh, We go to Janet's funeral where Michael is giving another really sour hearted speech. And a couple of minutes into this, Janet just shoots up in her coffin, which is so super creepy. She's got new clothes on. And she... You're right. Yeah. And she tells, she says, hello, architect, enter your pin. And he does, which is his birth year, which is 0000. And then she has to re-upload all of the knowledge in the universe. So she is basically a drooling idiot for the rest of the episode. She can say her AB Janets. That's all. (laughs) Yeah, she's like an operating system that's taking a while to boot up, basically. A very long while. Yeah. So Michael says, you know, I'm going to postpone my retirement because I have to get to the bottom of who killed Janet. So Eleanor's feeling pretty good about this, but Chidi is still like, he's like boiling over. And we, and we see a flashback that Henry goes to the hospital. He has had an aneurysm. He says, it's a 50, 50 chance I'm going to live or die. If there's anything you want to say to me, say it now. But Chidi keeps his mouth shut. But then as soon as he, Chidi sleeps in Henry's hospital room. And as soon as Henry gets out of surgery, Chidi confesses that he has hated these boots for three years. Which is... And- <laughs> way too long to, why do you still care about this three well, years cheaty. later that's the point I right know, we're trying to I know. paint a picture of Chidi's character I and know. Henry says this is why everyone hates moral philosophy professors and Chidi's like yeah I get it uh, can I just say also as someone who has had I would say I would say it was major surgery but not probably on the level of the surgery you need to have to take care of an aneurysm there's no way Henry would even be lucid enough to have this conversation just out of surgery. I thought about that, too. I was like, an aneurysm? Like, you would be uh, out cold for Drugged a very long to your time. gills. Oh, my goodness. Don't get me started. I mean, he would have been on so many... He would have been on so much morphine. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah. just no way. There is no way. He wouldn't have even have... I mean, I guess this was... Um, I guess this is not the OR. So there is an OR recovery area. And then... You stay there for a while, and then they take you up to the room that you're going to stay in overnight. 
So I guess this was that. So he probably would have to be conscious to be taken to that room, but he still wouldn't be lucid. Anyway, it's still yeah, a funny I, we're, gag. I, we're I was just sitting there hairs, going, I, I was sitting there going like, I've been there and you're not having that conversation in that moment. <laughs> so Chidi wants to confess to murdering Janet and Eleanor is like, don't do it. We got away with it. And Chidi's like, fine, you know, I promise to help you. So I'm not going to confess, but this is going to bother me for the rest of my death. Yeah, I mean, when he says, like, this is going to eat me up inside and I'll never get over it, I did have a moment where I was like, oh, he literally means never because they are in the afterlife. He's never going to... He literally means never because they are there forever. That's true. Actually, he's he's had many hundreds of reboots and he does not remember this. He doesn't remember. That's too funny. Michael apologizes to Tahani, which is really nice, and he really has this, this... attitude or this this appearance of being like a really nice guy in this scene and it's so hard to know how much of this is a put on but he does apologize to Tahani which is nice he tells the neighbor so he calls this nighttime meeting of the neighborhood and he says obviously I'm not the source of all the problems because someone murdered Janet and it wasn't me and so please 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 if anyone knows anything please confess and Eleanor stands up and first she tells Chidi like I love you man which is so sweet. And then yeah, she ends up and sweet. says, I'm the problem in the neighborhood. I'm not supposed to be here in the good place. And that's where the episode ends. On the on Michael's face, looking not shocked exactly, but taken aback, definitely. Yeah. Well, we find out in I season to, two. Oh, go ahead. No, I have to just say one thing about Tahani, which I okay. sort of noticed, and then it just cracked me up so hard. She is the only one at Janet's funeral wearing funeral clothes. Now ask yourself why that is. It's because no one in the neighborhood could ask Janet for new clothes, which means Tahani had a wardrobe with funeral clothes in it in the afterlife. Ah, I thought nobody else was wearing funeral clothes because they are all bad place employees, so they know that it's not permanent death. Don't you think that they should have just... But, but you know, Eleanor and Chidi aren't wearing funeral clothes either. That's true. That's true. So she just had because like they a... couldn't say Janet. I need a. I could. I need a funeral outfit. So Tahani apparently has a closet. Now we know she wears multiple outfits a day, but apparently she has a closet that includes a funeral outfit in heaven. <laughs> yeah, there is at one point. Speaking of uh, asking Janet for things or not being able to ask her for things, at one point when uh, Eleanor and Jason are trying to, like, calm Cheaty down because he's so stressed about having accidentally murdered Janet, Jason's like, hey, Janet, can you get Cheaty some weed? And then he realizes, like, he's like, oh, right, you murdered Janet. And it's, like, a throwaway <laughs> line, but I did have a moment when I was watching it where I was like, could Janet get you weed? Could she get you illegal substances? Oh, I guess sure. probably, remember, sure. Remember towards the very beginning of season one, she asks Eleanor what sort of pornography she would like to see. I guess, and in season two, she does get all those duffel bags all the cocaine. cocaine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She can get whatever. Well, I also good, suspect a, Jason a and his bud hole may have consumed some things that are questionable. I am shocked, I say, <laughs> that you would say I don't think that. NBC. I don't think NBC wanted them, like, throwing a bong into the frame, but... I think that we are supposed to sort of understand that that's a thing that happened. Yeah, that's probably true. I think the jalapeno poppers are like the G-rated version of like stoner food, basically. So we're supposed to just get 
that jalapeno poppers equals you're probably token. A little baked. I'm, ver- I'm super <laughs> square, so like I don't know what the terminology is. <laughs> is it called grass clippings? Is that what I've heard? <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. I, I, I sort of took the tack that... Uh, that all the rest of everybody in the audience was kind of not in on the ruse because they weren't expecting Janet to die, but they wouldn't necessarily be like if they've been through other iterations of Janet's, then they know that she's not really dead. Well, they've never, (sighs) have they ever actually seen a Janet be killed or like this? No, but I imagine even a bad bad Janet. I wonder what killing a bad Janet is like. She's just texting. She's like, no, please stop. Right? (laughs) Like, what's your failsafe switch for a bad Janet? We should tweet at Darcy Carden and ask her. Yeah, just do a quick vine. I know vines are not a thing anymore. Do a quick vine, Darcy, of showing your bad Janet with someone's approaching the kill switch. There is a a comic book convention going on, Emerald City Comic Con. And... uh, I follow Darcy, Darcy Carden on Twitter, and apparently a whole bunch of people uh, at Emerald City are dressing up. You, you know, like people go to cons to dress up, or dress up when they go sure. to cons. Apparently a whole bunch of people are dressing up as Janet, good and bad Janet. And so Darcy Carden is just like retweeting all of them, being like, I love all my <laughs> Janets. It's so great to see. It's like such a, <laughs> what a cute thing to dress up as for a con. It's really adorable. I saw what she retweeted one with... These two best friends, one of them dressed as good Janet, one of them dressed as bad Janet, and the one that dressed up as good Janet has a cactus. Oh, <laughs> that's great! Yeah. So what that if you could is actually- rig it up so that you vomited pennies? <laughs> or you're just carrying around like a paperclip. <laughs> Someone's sticking yeah. on your yeah, because the, the cactus is actually from, I think it's the next episode, isn't it? Where she's sort yes. of in the in the sort of being rebooted and instead of getting people what they actually need uh, because she's being rebooted and she's like still kind of malfunctioning, she just gets everybody little cactuses. <laughs> so, so I know we talked about this in the last Guilty Knowledge Rewatch episode. But can we talk about what Michael's plan was at various points in this episode? We so sure we can. know for sure we know for sure that his plan was not to have Eleanor confess. That was not something that he thought we, we know explicitly that that was unexpected. Yeah, that's canon. But what was his right? What was his plan when he was when he was going to fake being forced into retirement and what was his plan when he got up in front of everybody begging somebody to confess? You know, pre you and post Janet murder. Yeah, pre and post Janet murder. Like, what did he want to happen? It doesn't seem I... like he was expecting anyone to kill Janet. No, 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 no. I think that he was banking on Cheaty not being able to take it. I think that he was playing up even if retirement is um legitimately terrible for him which you know i am with you I, I believe that that's true even if retirement is legitimately terrible for him i think he was kind of hamming it up or like making more of a show about being bitter and morose and all these things because he's like in a pretty bad mood the whole episode and when you watch oh, it yeah. the first when you watch it the first time through you genuinely believe that he's in a bad mood because his experiment has failed he feels like a failure 
and now he's going to have to face these completely redonkulous consequences for that. Watching it, you know, the nth time around, as we are, and watching it with the guilty knowledge of understanding that all of this was an elaborate ruse, it does sort of raise the question of like, yeah, what did he think the the problem was going to, or what did he think the plan was? Um, and I think he thought that Chidi, because Chidi genuinely the entire episode is is struggling uh, with having to lie. And he ends up, Chidi ends up making the decision to cover for Eleanor because his original promise of wanting to help her supersedes in his mind all these other lies or these kinds of sticky situations. Um, and he right. also, and he also at one point says, the moral implications of what we've done are so complicated that I, I don't know that I'll ever untangle them. So I think there is also yes. part of him that's just like, I cannot deal with this. Like if I, if I turn on the faucet a little bit, like it's all just going to come pouring out. So like, I better just mm. not. But I think Michael was hoping or planning for Cheaty to be the one to stand up and kind of like say, I can't take it anymore. I'm complicit in this. And this is the real problem. That's my take on it. Interesting. But what was he hoping to happen before Janet was murdered? Well, even before Janet was murdered, he gives that... Oh, you think like, he wanted Shady to confess, you know, that you... Oh, you don't go to retirement, Michael. It's not you. It's it's something else. I You know, I might not be able to say what it is, but it's not you. Yeah, it's not you. Or it's like, I'm... You know, Chidi feels that he is... You know, it's not just that Eleanor is lying that's the problem. It's that he feels complicit in the lying, right? And at one point in the episode, when they're going to potentially try to kill Janet or or do the kill switch that destroys her, she says, do you want to do it or should I? Eleanor asks him that. And he says, I'll do it because somehow being a bystander is worse. So Mm -hmm. if you kind of extrapolate that, at least in my mind... It's it's literally emotional torture for him to know that he could prevent Michael's quote-unquote retirement if he would just open his mouth and say something, even if he had to face consequences from that or Eleanor had to face cons- consequences from that. So I think that even before Janet, even before the whole concocted plan to like stop Janet and everything, you know, that's when we get Michael's speech about my soul is going to be like ladled over hot diamonds or whatever. Like he, and Chidi is visibly horrified at that. So yes. is Eleanor. Um, Chidi's visibly horrified by that. And so I think he was just sort of like twisting the knife a little bit. <laughs> um, and trying to get Chidi to kind of confess in that moment. I think. Yeah, it's just funny because we know, I feel like we've said this 10 times, but we know that Michael's plan was for this iteration to run for a thousand years or something. And But at the same time, he is obviously trying to flush Eleanor out of hiding in a way. Because there, there's no other, you know, putting himself as a sacrificial lamb really could have no other outcome. So he... 
he was planning to force Eleanor. I mean, now he didn't know Eleanor was going to out herself, but you're saying that he was expecting Chidi to out her or to for Chidi to do something that would lead her to be outed. Yeah. And it seems like that is that runs counter to his plan to have her worried about her, you know, quote unquote immigration status for a millennium. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, but I wonder, I, I think this is a, a little bit more of like a fundamental question, but it, it, and it is a question that we've run up against very, you know, early on in the podcast, because we were talking about the, the marketing for season two and the posters all around New York that said, um, how long can they keep this up? Uh, mm-hmm. And we kind of were talking about, we thought it meant one thing, but it actually meant another thing. But there is, to me, kind of a notion of, like, how long... I don't think that this could have lasted for a millennium. Like, how long did he expect no, there's for no this way. to go on? If he had wanted it to go on for a millennium, he would have had to have parceled out these things so slowly. And funny enough, this would have been possible to do within the narrative structure of this show. There could have been a little Chiron that says, you know, that had the the big shrimp flying through the sky on the first night. And then another, a Chiron in the next episode that says, you know, like six months later, this, uh, yeah. this other thing happens. So we see that it's taking place over the course of potentially many years where, and they're all just sort of Chidi and Eleanor are sort of living in fear. But it turns out to be this really fast paced thing, which I think lends itself well to the tone of the show but logically doesn't make a lot of sense so i think they went for tone over logic which i respect i i think that the supremacy of plot logic is usually confined more to say like hard sci-fi mm-hmm. rather than what whatever this is i don't even know what to call this genre wise it's not hard sci-fi though i'll tell you that much no so they they made a they had to make a series of decisions and ultimately it seems like logic kind of got pushed to the bottom of the heap most of the time <laughs> and that's just sort of something that we have to live with. Yeah, I mean and I we've talked about this a little bit before too where it's like maybe this is a way that they're sort of showing Michael's grand ability to reimagine this world but when it comes down to the execution of it he's kind of inept at the execution like we even see this at the beginning of season two where we're just like slow your roll man you're trying to do everything in one day and then you lose everyone (laughs) literally he he was so compassionate towards tahani at the end of this episode and we see in season two you know how much contempt he kind of treats her with uh, and how little he thinks of her before she kind of comes to the realization that she needs to change that I really wonder, you know, you, you end up second guessing everything that Michael says and does in season one. I think that's inevitable, but where I second guess the most is I think that, I think that Michael, well, I think he probably holds Jason in the lowest regard if you remember from the beginning of season two, yeah. when he confesses in, in, in Dance Dance Resolution, when he confesses to Jason everything that's been going on and he kind of couches it with like, you're so stupid that there's no way you can actually give me advice, but I'm just using you as a basically inanimate sounding board. 
Yeah. But I think personality-wise, he dislikes Tahani the most. He he really has a lot of contempt for her. But in this episode, he shows her so much compassion that seems so genuine. And I wonder if it actually is genuine or if he is just doing his amazing acting job. Yeah. And I felt that way throughout the whole thing. Like when he gives that whole speech about how he is really bitter and disappointed because he never got to do all the things he wanted to do to experience what it's like to be human. We talked about this, I think, two weeks ago uh, when we did our last episode of the rewatch. It's either two or three weeks ago when we talked about, do we think that Michael genuinely likes humans or or does have an affinity for them? And I I think he does because he takes such weird pleasure in like these mundane things that humans get to do and we see that as a through line through the first season when he like you know he collects paper clips and he watches all the seasons of friends and in this episode you know one of the things that he sort of waxes poetic about is that thing when you're walking down a hallway and you there's someone coming towards you and you both like dodge in the same direction and then you kind of chuckle over it like that's what he never got to do that he regrets not being able to do or there's an episode where he talks about the fact that he's excited to wear suspenders to a party like and then in season two you know we still get these little like with his um that honorary human thing that we talked about like in the yes he's so delighted by that he's so delighted by like getting a stress ball with a with like a random corporate logo on it that i think in a weird way this is kind of like a very subtle, like these moments where he actually does have, he is showing affection for people. You know, I think you can dislike somebody or dislike their personality and still recognize when they've done a decent thing for you. And like, maybe that's what it is. Like, because he does kind of say like, you know, you're, you were only trying to help. And I hope if I ever do get to have a retirement party that you get to plan it. Like, that to me i that felt genuine because what we see in season two is they eventually do become friends but it just takes longer because tahani has such a different personality than somebody like eleanor who basically is michael in human form (laughs) it's not it's less that it takes longer and more that it takes tahani going through a process of transformation to some degree it takes Tahani becoming self-aware before Michael can really relate to her. And even then, you know, her behavior in the balloon episode is pretty regrettable. And yeah. I, she and she and Michael definitely never have the sort of deep relationship that he has with, I would say, Eleanor and Chidi both. Obviously, yeah. Eleanor more than Chidi, but he really has these moments with Chidi that he doesn't have with Tahani or Jason, for that matter. Well, and I think what you're talking about, too, is, like, the self-awareness. Like, Eleanor, we talked about this, too, before, where with Eleanor and Tahani's growth, Tahani genuinely believes that she's in the good place. um, You know, the whole setup of the show is that Eleanor knows she's in the wrong place. or, Or the bad place, right? She thinks she's an anomaly. She knows it from the beginning. Whereas Tahani is led to believe that she's been rewarded with this mansion in the afterlife and it's just non-stop you know parties like 
the great Gatsby style, you know, like every <laughs> single night is this like nonstop party for her that she gets to plan and she's the center of attention. So she's being tortured in her own way, but she doesn't kind of have to contend with the fact that she's in the wrong place until season two, really, or the very end of, of season one. She doesn't contend with it at the end of season one. She sits there gaping like a fish and then she gets wiped. (laughs) Right, exactly. So she doesn't really, it doesn't really come to her until probably the middle of season two, where she finally says, like, all right, I want to be this person. So I think I want to be the person that I always pretended to be. Whereas Eleanor has had to deal with the fact that she's a fish out of water this entire time. And Chidi has always been someone that Eleanor has confided in. So he's been in on it from the beginning too. Even if he believes that he belongs in the good place, he's had to do a lot of soul searching of what his own boundaries are too, because he's had to be, as we talked about at the beginning of this discussion, complicit in the fact that he's hiding something from Michael. So Chidi and Eleanor have had to do a lot of self-examination all throughout season one. Tahani hasn't had to do that. And neither has Jason, arguably, because he's just fine being a (laughs) dum-dum. Whereas, (laughs) you know, in season two, they all start to have this reckoning. And even Michael has this reckoning. And one of the other things that I wrote about in the discussion questions is that Janet also goes through a lot of changes. Like, I know that she's not a person, but... She becomes a lot more. Nor human is she in a robot. Two. Nor is she a robot. Uh, not a girl. Not a robot. She becomes much more like a person in season two. But watching season one again, she's so much less nuanced. Like you, season two brings her so many more situations and so much more emotional range that I almost it was like a little jarring to see her. Because at the beginning of this episode, when Michael says, will you be okay without me? Janet's like, yes, this will have no effect on me at all. And I don't really understand human sadness, but here's my version of crying. And she she just sort of is like, ah, like, it's hilarious. I think that's the most popular good place gif. That's the one that Ted Danson liked my tweet of. That was the the gif that I used. So I'm going to say anecdotally, it is the most popular. (laughs) <laughs> but it was a little jarring for me to see her be so, you know, for lack of a better Glib. word, kind of robotic. Yeah, because in we're we're used to now this much more nuanced version of Janet, who is much more human, for lack of a better word. This was an it was such a Janet centric episode. Yeah, and yes, to be exposed to so many of her pre eight hundred reboots behavior was a little off-putting because the Janet we know now is so much more compassionate and has so many more feelings and is so much more than just a repository of knowledge. And if this this same scenario happened now where she was killed and rebooted, we would feel a great sense of loss in a way that we didn't in this episode. In this episode, it was just funny you know, she holds up one of my favorite jokes in the show, maybe ever, where she holds up a picture of kids and tells Eleanor that those are her children. Yes. <laughs> and then as soon as Eleanor backs off, she says, Eleanor, again, I'm not human. This is a stock photo of the crowd at the Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards. Which is hilarious. <laughs> yes. 
Whereas now, you know, if she was begging for her life, back then it was a kind of a funny joke. Now it would really hurt. Because I think if she was begging for her life, it would be something like, no, 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 like, I'm I'm not, I, I'm, I really don't want you to reboot me because I have all these feelings and memories and I, I want to keep them. And I, I don't make me start over again. It wouldn't be this fakey, jokey invention of reasons for someone not to kill her. It would be an honest to God recounting of the reasons why if she were rebooted, it would be this huge loss for her. Yeah, I mean, and in the finale of season two, she says, I'm not... You know, obviously, Jason says, I love you. I think I love you too, girl, or something. And she says, I'm not a girl. I'm also not a robot. I'm also, like, I don't know what I am, right? So it's the lines mm-hmm. become a lot murkier. Like, in this episode, she keeps saying, like, don't worry. I'm, I can't be killed. I'm just a, I'm basically just a repository of all the information in the universe. Like, I don't have feelings. I can't feel sadness. <laughs> Sorry, I, just, I can't feel pain. You didn't, you didn't watch Community, did you? No, but I I have watched a couple of scenes, and you do it, the the one song that you play for me made me laugh. Oh, Brit is a bee. Yeah, no, but Brit I'm thinking of uh, the the Chang character, and he has a whole thing like I'm Chang, I can't be killed, and I just thought of that. Oh, okay, <laughs> another great NBC sitcom. Yeah, I mean, maybe we could do a couple episodes of Community once we're done the Guilty Knowledge rewatch. Because wasn't Zooks on Community? Uh, if he was, he was in episodes that I did not watch. I okay. stopped watching after the third season. So, you know, she keeps saying, like, I'm not... It's okay if you kill me. It's not going to really do anything. Like, I, I can't eat. I am i can't feel sadness. I can't feel pain. You know, I'm just an operating system, basically. Now, I don't think she would be able to say that. No. Because she says at the end of the season two, like, I don't know what I am. So that's a big deal for her. And then... You know, and we also see in season two in the episode Janet and Michael that she insists on being not just sacrificed. Yeah. Yeah. Not not just rebooted, but like just turn me into a marble, basically, um, like completely shut down for good. And Michael can't do it. You know, I think now where all of our character and he says, like, you know, the reason is friendship or something like that. He says the reason um, is friends. The reason is friends. The reason is friends. And, you know, he's like, you've been with me since the beginning and, you know, I consider you a friend. And I think all the rest of our characters would have a much harder time. Like, you know, Eleanor is really glib in this episode about she's really cavalier about shutting oh, Janet totally. down to the point where she says, like, look, we're all what's the big deal? We're all dead. And now we're just killing her. Pay it forward. And Chidi's like, that's not what that <laughs> means at all, which I thought was really funny. But again, it's played for laughs, whereas I think now if someone said to Eleanor, like, you've got to hit the Janet kill switch, I don't think she would do it. No. I mean, maybe, maybe if it was between Chidi and Janet, you know, if it was someone was holding a a proverbial gun to her head and saying you have to either shut down Janet or kick Chidi into the bad place for all eternity. I think she would choose Chidi over Janet, but uh, uh, other than that sort of extremist situation, yeah, no, she wouldn't, she wouldn't hurt Janet at this point. Yeah. So it's interesting. It is interesting to go back and rewatch some of these older episodes and see how quickly the dynamic has shifted and how, much the characters have changed. Like I was talking to uh, a friend of mine, her boyfriend, we went out for drinks this week and we were talking about shows that we were watching. And 
He's like, oh, just gonna get- just gonna subtly subtly brag about the fact that you can go out, huh? <laughs> you can leave you can leave your house without little ankle biters clinging to your calves and screaming, "Mama, mama!" Hmm. I'll, I'll I'll do the Jason Benzukas thing and just say, "I am single." <laughs> <laughs> for, for better or for worse but we were we were going out and um you know we were talking about the just shows we were watching and different stuff on netflix and i mentioned the good place and and he's like i don't know if i can i don't know if i want to get into the good place because i'm not really like a big sitcom person and i was like look this is not a sitcom <laughs> the way that you know it look you are gonna listen to my podcast whether you like it or not <laughs> I think actually my friend does listen to the podcast. So hello, Jessica, if you're listening. But yeah, I was like, look, if if you don't like sitcoms, you will love this show because they blow every sitcom stereotype out of the water. And I think about the episodes, you know, I have loved a lot of sitcoms where there's some zany thing and then everything stays the same at the end of it. But when we talk about The Good Place... The Simpsons is pretty much the the shining example of this, in a way. Did you know that they're in their 30th, their 30th season? Yeah, it makes you feel old, huh? It does. It really super does. You know, Friends is like that to a degree, which is funny because that's what Michael watched to understand human friendship. Uh, a show where I mean, everything... Star Trek is like that. My understanding is yes. that the exception is Deep Space Nine, but the the sort of most of the original Star Trek series, you know, the literally the original series and Next Generation and Voyager, they were all like that. You know, you had the status quo and, and whatever happens in the episode, you hit status quo at five minutes to the hour. Yep. It's like, well, we saved that species onward to, you know, the next... Sometimes yeah, it's, it's much- well, this the, the ensign what's-his-face got changed into a frog man, but magically we changed him back onward. Right. <laughs> Whereas, you know, when we talk about this show, the episodes where things stay the same at the end feel a little disappointing because they've taught us to watch this show in a different way. Um, and so when I was telling my friend's boyfriend, I was like, you're going to, if you don't like sitcoms, you're going to love this show because everything feels so different. And I think just looking back on season one and seeing how far we've come just in, you know, another 13 episodes is, is pretty incredible. I agree. And now I'm going to start on the emails, email segment. So we've got multiple emails. The first email is from Joel. And it's in response to our last Guilty Knowledge rewatch where we were talking about basically the space-time continuum. I'm just going to read what he writes. To start, I, Joel, fully realize that I'm kind of doing this. And then he includes a picture of from the Bad Place Hall of Fame of Human Behavior, the first man to say, well, actually, to a woman. (laughs) (laughs) Joel, the fact that you are aware of it means that you're not doing that thing. Well, is he though? So, (laughs) ahem. Being in space does cause time to move differently. Being close to a massive object, for instance, the Earth, causes time to slow down for you. Since satellites are far away, they experience time a bit faster than we slowpokes down on Earth do. That's general relativity. To take this to the extreme, those close to a black hole will see the lifetime of the universe zip by in a matter of seconds. To take things closer to home, there's this physics trivia that says that GPS satellites must adjust their clocks because they are moving so fast, which is an instance apparently of special relativity. 
Okay. Turns out they must also adjust their clock because they are out in space and not by Earth. General relativity. Oh, okay. Okay. So I was, I guess, quoting special relativity, which is because he says they have to adjust their clock because they're moving so fast. So I was saying that moving fast is the thing that makes time move differently for you. But he's saying that general relativity affects the movement of time based on your proximity to large bodies in space. Mm-hmm. And then he, sec- he says that he's expecting me to throw a tinfoil ball at him, you know, when we're both at work, which I will have to work on that. I'm not sure I have a tinfoil ball at my desk right now. You know, my only sort of not even understanding of how time works in space, but my only sort of reference to it is uh, the Ender's Game series. Because, oh, for God's sake. Well, look... <laughs> I know you don't like it, but I really do. And there is, obviously, Ender is very young when he starts his training, and he spends pretty much from when he's six years old onwards in space. And so he ages at a different rate, and when his sister, he has a a sister who's the only person in the world who really cares about him, and she comes to visit him, and the line is something like, he would have recognized her if she were a young girl. And that's when he figures out that this grown woman is his sister who has aged differently than him because they've been mm. separated by space all these years. So that's, that's my so only... So I think that's meant to be general... Or I think that's meant to be special relativity that he's like zipping around in space, right? So he's aging slower because he's like constantly yeah. in motion on a spaceship, I guess. I bet Joel has read Ender's yeah. Game, so Joel, if you I want just, to write back, you know what? I don't know, know if I need that in my life, but if Joel feels moved to write back in about it, so so the, the you can just the write title, to me, just be like yeah, the only Brianna thing was this. Brianna was right, but I would argue that that it's really the both of us were right. We were just quoting different parts of relativity. We were quoting different <laughs> parts of relativity, the theory of relativity. I did take a class in college where I was supposed to learn relativity. Uh, but it was like a humanities course, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't really a physics class. So it was relatively different. Oh, boy. And we learned stuff like, you know, <laughs> Einstein had all these thought experiments about, like, a train that would leave a tunnel before it entered a tunnel or something. And everyone in the class was just like, these these things are not possible for us to imagine. Like, I'm, I appreciate that you're giving us these thought experiments to understand relativity, but we're not able to experiment with these thoughts. <laughs> so we're just going to keep not being Einstein, if that's okay. I think that, that's unacceptable. <laughs> okay. And our... In your, in your, in your freshman... writing seminar. You know, yeah. survey class. <laughs> um, so we had... Uh, the other email, it's actually a set of two emails, but I'll just condense it to one, was from Trifton. And this is actually about Black Panther. So he says, why did Killmonger rescue Claw? That made no sense. If he wanted Claw dead, he could have just blown up the building. Instead, there's the firefight, escape to the airfield, then kill him. What exactly did Killmonger need? A plane? That doesn't require aligning with this crook. Did he just need his body to show Wakabi? And furthermore, after Claw destroys Shuri's car, Black Panther rips that tire off and and Claw's truck flips. Was he buckled in? Okay, I'm not going to... 
I'm not going to discuss the car chase. I can't intelligently discuss the car chase. I can't intelligently discuss a car chase that occurs in the bright of day where every color car is a different color. This was one in the middle of the dang night, and I was watching a 3D movie, and all the cars were dark. I don't know who was in what vehicle. I don't know who ripped what off of what. I, I don't I don't know. Brianna, if you have insight into that, please. But I don't know. I don't know. I gotta, I'll see it again and I'll pay more attention to that. I just thought it was really cool. That okay, the car so when you see it next, keep keep an eye on Claw and his car and, and how he stays alive. Okay, but let's talk about the bigger question here, which is why Killmonger rescued Claw. So I'm going to say that Killmonger is kind of chaotic evil. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. <laughs> and he doesn't know what he's going to do. I don't think he knows what he's going to do. I think he has this team of people who have helped him do this, you know, British Museum heist and maybe done other things. We really don't know. And they've been valuable to him thus far. He would not have been able to pull off the museum heist on his own. And so, you know, let's keep the let's keep the gang together. Let's keep the team together. Like everything's working out so far. Like why change a good thing? Why go it alone when you've got these people who are obviously loyal to you, to some degree at least, with Claw, and who are helping you wreak all this havoc that you want to wreak? And he changes plans when Claw refuses to fly into Wakanda and takes his girlfriend hostage. That's sort of the moment where Killmonger goes from, well, I have this sort of team. I mean, for all we know, his initial plan was that they would all fly into Wakanda and that he and his girlfriend would kind of rule as king and queen, you know? But then as soon as Claw changes the script, Killmonger's yeah. like, well, okay. He, he's very good at thinking on his feet. And he's like, well, okay. I, I, you know, I guess instead what I can do is murder my girlfriend and murder Claw and go in myself. I, I don't think he's got all this. St- I don't think he has this grand plan that he can't possibly tinker with. I think he's thinking on his feet and he's a bit chaotic. That's exactly what I was going to say. That he uses, like, he, he thinks of people as tools. Like about what their use is. Yeah. If you're useful to me, then I'll keep you around. The minute you stop being useful to me or the minute you get in my way or the minute you become inconvenient, then you're just collateral damage. Uh, and you see that with his girlfriend. You know, the minute she becomes a hostage, he's like, all right, I don't really need you. And Claw was the same way. I think that's exactly right, that he, you know, was hoping that Claw was going to take him into Wakanda. And when Claw says, I'm not going to do that. And, you know... Claw thinks that Killmonger has sort of some sort of ethical code or whatever. And so he takes his girlfriend as like an insurance policy and Killmonger just says, yeah, that's not going to work on me. Um, And I I think you're exactly right. I think he's chaotic evil. I think he thinks on his feet. I don't think he thought he was going to have to kill everybody, but I also don't think it bothered him to have to kill him. And Tripton says, you know, what did Killmonger need? Did he need a plane? Well, you know, they are... In that scene in the airfield, where are they exactly? Are they in Korea? They must right, right. Be? I mean, they have to be in or near be- Korea, and it's a long flight from Korea to the middle of Africa. It's a long flight. Yeah. So, yeah. So I would, I would guess, assume yes. you know Killmonger is not stupid, and he was he's ex CIA. He's ex you know we think Marines or something. Black Ops, basically, yeah. So I'm comfortable saying that he can fly a plane, but I'm also comfortable saying that probably even the cockiest pilot is like, okay, this is, I mean, 
I guess I'll, you know, allow me to 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 Expedia this for a second. <laughs> so, so let's say flight yeah, to well, Wakanda. What's the closest, <laughs> what's the closest um, airport to Wakanda? Do we think? Uh, it's an East African nation. So um, let's see, okay. Kenya, Ethiopia. So um, maybe Addis or Nairobi. Okay, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. You want to go to Kenyatta International? I don't know, man. Let me tell you something. If he landed at Kenyatta International, I have been there. The security is bonkers. They <laughs> I'm pretty sure that he in. did not bother. So, I think he 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 landed in in like a field. <laughs> oh, for crying out loud! Oh, Expedia, you're the worst. I, flights, flight only. <laughs> See, this is why yeah, yeah, yeah. Kilmarnock so and Planey got I mean, sick of Expedia. Look, so th- I guess these are, this is with, I don't think you can find a nonstop flight. <laughs> but with one, with one stop, yeah. dang. With one stop, I'm seeing travel times of over 24 hours. Now, okay, so this one is, a uh, yeah, from, from South, South Korea, Korea to, to Addis Ababa. Um, now, this one is one stop and it's only 18 hours. So, you know... How long in the air is it exactly? It's hard to know without knowing exactly how how long the the stop is. But you know, let's say it's I don't know, fifteen hours or something in in the air. Even someone who is very cocky, the way that Killmonger is, probably is too smart to have his plan A be. Well, I'm gonna fly this by myself with no co pilot for fifteen hours in the air. You know, like he's not stupid. Yeah. He ends yeah. up having to do that and, I guess, miraculously sort of making it through. But nobody's first choice is, well, I'm going to be alone in this airplane for the better part of a day. With a corpse. With a corpse that's starting to stink <laughs> up the joint. Yeah. And I think I think Killmonger, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I think Claw would have been useful to him either way, right? You either bring Claw back alive and assume that he's a trophy no matter what because... You know, he's going to stand judgment right. for what he did. Or it's possible that if he, if they had landed together, he would have just killed him the minute they got off the plane and then dragged his body. Right. After having Wakanda used him house. as a co-pilot right? on a very like, long flight. Right. Then all I need is your body to show this guy. Right. I mean, there, there's no, I, I don't, I, I think you're exactly right. I think he's chaotic evil and I don't think he really has had a you know, a set plan or a set of ethics, really. And now I'm just wondering what the rest of the alignment chart for uh, Black Panther I think T'Challa is obviously <laughs> the lawful good, right? Yes, I think so. I think either his dad or um, Forrest Whitaker are lawful mm, neutral. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's pretty good. Yep. Is Shuri, Shuri chaotic good? She could be chaotic good. She likes to car chase. I, I'm into that. I don't know who would be lawful evil. I I don't know that we have a lawful evil person in this universe yet. At least, I mean, maybe in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but not in the Black Panther sub universe. Well, maybe maybe yeah. Killmonger's dad. No, he was not being lawful. He was definitely yeah going around the law. So not so much. Yeah. No, no, no. How about the uh, the, the how about the the slavers in the uh, opening montage? 
could be lawful evil. Yeah, they were super <laughs> lawful evil. They're like, ugh, bleh. yeah, you're, yep, one hundred percent chaotic neutral. Maybe Wakabi. Yeah, or not Wakabi. No. Um, yeah, Wakabi or Mbaku. Maybe. Yeah, Mbaku's pretty neutral. Anyway, if someone has found, I'm sure this is a thing that already exists yeah. on the internet. So uh, tw- tweet Google that to it. us. <laughs> tweet that to us. <laughs> Please do. Um, I just started playing uh, another campaign in Dungeons and Dragons, so my my mind is uh, is there quite a bit. So <laughs> great. Okay. <laughs> So I think that's... Look, I'm not saying that I spent Tuesday night, you know, trying to get out of all kinds of misfortunes in a fantasy world, but I definitely did. I think that's going to do it for us this uh, (laughs) this episode. So until next time, folks, take it sleazy. We'll see you next time, Ding Dongs. Not now.